Welcome to Speak Sex. I'm your host, Eve Eurydice. I am Greek from the island of Lesbos, where the lesbians come from. Uh, I am a writer. I've written books on sex, um, the Sex Files column in many magazines. I'm a multimedia artist with the same theme, female sexuality. And I started this podcast, Speak Sex, um, because of uh, this big need I see in the world around me as a woman, as a mother, as a lover, as a sexual being, um, to, 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 to find a, a source of education and also freedom and a voice and articulation for our sexual needs and our sexual lives, which have been kept secret and silenced for all kinds of ill-advised reasons that I'm not going to go into right now. Um, so speaking sex is specifically the quest to simplify the language of sexuality, both between lovers and also on a daily basis among friends, in family, um, and to make up for the complete lack of any sort of like formal education when it comes to sex in our lives. Um, I am just, you know, fascinated and saddened and and um, torn by the fact that we spend, what, 12 years, 18 years learning, um, you know, numbers and scales and measuring and um, multiplication and language and grammar and how to sit properly and hold the fork and the knife properly and drive on which side of the street and all these other ways that are supposed to make it easier for us to be with each other, to homogenize us enough and allow us a way to translate who we are and what we feel to each other. And yet we never learn the most important part of it all, which is how to be sexual and how to, um, you know, find pleasure in the procreation and the engagement of the species. So this is what this podcast is um, attempting to, to make up for and correct. Uh, today's guest is um, a fellow writer um, who is based in London and she a sex expert by default <laughs> <laughs> through her writing work and now also her um, work um, for women's uh, issues. She'll discuss it all for us. Um, her name is Shannon Lehman, and I'm very happy to have her today. Welcome. Thank you. So, um, Shannon, you have taken um, all kinds of educational classes, <laughs> which uh, kind of like, you know, proves me wrong because they are out there mm. um, recent, more recently in, you know, as a grown up um, when it comes to, you know, understanding sexuality and how to go about it both physically and I guess um, mechanically mm. and also maybe verbally. Emotionally, mm. probably mm. more than anything. Mm -hmm. So... I started writing on um, cosmetic surgery specifically 25 years ago. And I slowly or quickly, I don't know, it depends on point of view, uh, became this expert on this area of beauty by going to conferences, being in surgery, just being really open to something that in England nobody was talking about, um, enhancements or changes physically, a lot of shame regarding that at the time, mm -hmm. and whisper, nudge, nudge. Mm -hmm. And then 9-11 happened, and nobody wanted to hear about boob jobs and facelifts and nose jobs and, and such. So I was sort of, my writing career just dried up. And then I thought, well, you know, the world's changing. Maybe we want to hear more about intimacy. So I went to my editor, and I suggested that, and she said, oh, my God, well, we'll take anything that you can give us on that. And intimacy then led to sex and intimacy sort of all wound up trying to figure out how the two intertwined. And so I started taking courses uh, online, in person, on the phone, uh, anything I could get. And, and that's how that journey started. Um, and it was an easy sell. 
uh, because the world had changed really in the space of one morning mm-hmm. about what it wanted to hear and experience from this ridiculous facade thing that I wrote about and I am an expert on to, you know, internalizing how we felt about each other. And um, so that that's basically how it started. That's very interesting. Yeah. The connection to 9-11 is very interesting. You yeah. know, that moment of reckoning and, um, yeah. Well, there's certain Looking moments, I think, that we all remember where we were, the Kennedy, depending on your age, Princess Diana, 9-11. Mm-hmm. I don't know for anyone else, you know, mm-hmm. listening right now, what you what a seminal moment was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an opportunity to change and talk about something, you know, a little deeper. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. For me, I had never stitched before, and um, I was a writer, and, and I was I had been an artist before that, and I always looked down on embroidery as, like, women's busy work mm. that I did as a little girl with my mom and my grandma on the porch. Um, and then 9-11 happened, and I was just immobilized. There was nothing I could focus on. I was so shocked. <laughs> you know, all my definitions shifted. Um so the only thing that calmed me down was, uh, you know, looking to embroider again. Wow. And then it changed my career. You know, I became like a fiber artist for wow. almost 15 and years. It has exactly opposite effect on me, <laughs> stitching, because I feel like perfectionist when I'm, you know, and I worry about the holes. And that's probably, you know, part of my issue, ever, you know, altogether, worrying about the faults as opposed to loving them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's, you know, several women that are listening right now were Catholics. And I, I, whilst I love parts of my religion, it really, it was, you know, fought a lot of the shame that came with that. So my personal journey uh, was about dealing with that, with um, the shame that, mm-hmm. that uh, I experienced, you know, through, mm-hmm. from childhood. Yeah, the original scene. Mm. Yeah, that we <laughs> that embody. Narrative. That narrative. <laughs> God. And, and, and you, I was speaking to someone coming in about whether, you know, how if we assimilated that from our parents or, you know, from the nuns or I don't know what it is, but that's a constant battle for me. And if I've passed that on to my children. Anyway, so, so this writing thing started with a woman that you probably know, Mama Gina. Do you know Mama Gina in New York? Oh, wow. So this is the next person you need to speak to. Uh, (laughs) She's got a school called the School of Womanly Arts, and she sees now thousands of people at a time. But when I saw her first in New York in her brownstone, which was a pussy palace, you'd go through the hallway, and it was all painted dark red. It was sort of all supposed to be a vagina you were entering. And she did a, a, a whole lot of different classes and I did them all mm-hmm. uh, I did them with my husband without my husband mm-hmm. as a courtesan uh, a, a, online on the phones we did a lot of phone sex and it opened up a whole new chapter in my life mm-hmm. Mama Gina and you can google her now she's a uh, she's a force then <laughs> um, she's just self-taught and um, yeah so that was the start for me of writing about orgasms and even just kissing and having my first experience of kissing another woman in front of a group of people. Um, and I did a lot of that with my husband. Um, so it was a, it was a real shift in our marriage and, and then writing about it, you know, and with my children being able to read, I ended up writing under a pseudonym because of course the shame again, you know, that your kids would have that, Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I stopped. Um, I was a sex writer in, mm. in New York. That's that, that's how I made my living. I published three books, including with Scribner, about sex. And then I became a mom. And by the first two, three years, uh, she came with me to the editorial meetings. And, you know, I, I thought nothing would change. And then she went to pre-K and kindergarten. And I realized that I had to stop for her sake. Yeah. Because of, I couldn't tell people what I was doing, and there was definitely that whole social judgment and shame mm-hmm. and and an embarrassment that even though I personally didn't feel, uh, you know, having lived in the West Village for decades, I had no consciousness of that. And even, you know, in Miami Beach, uh, it, it was very free. But once I entered the world of other moms mm. and parents mm. and teachers mm. and PTA. Yeah, what do you uh, do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no 
appropriate language for it. Mm. And I definitely did not want to put my daughter in a position where she feels embarrassed yeah. and humiliated or kids make fun of her. Um, but yeah, it it is kind of, it, when you look at it from the point of view of logic, it's just inconceivable that we approach sexuality, which is one of the very few things we all have in common everywhere in the world, throughout all cultures, and which we need, you know, and, and we need to, for the species to go on, we need for us to be healthy and stable, and we approach that as something so negative mm. and dirty. I mean, it's... Mm. Uh, Isn't it extraordinary? The, the amount of brainwashing involved. Well, it's interesting, when I look back uh, about uh, my shame, uh, I used to put a pillow over my head. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, during certain acts mm -hmm. because I didn't want that scene, mm -hmm. that pleasure. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, I haven't thought about that in a long time, that I did that. And, you know, why? When I was in my late teens, I was doing that, you know. So where did that behavior come from? But my son was at boarding school when I started this, and he wouldn't tell any of his friends that his mom was doing that. And then, of course, he couldn't help himself. And then, of course, I realized that all these boys were probably wanking. <laughs> so, so there's a bit of pride in that and a bit of horror, I suppose. About my son. Um, and then I became very open with them. And I felt really privileged that particularly my daughter came to me and asked me everything, how to give a blowjob, uh, what everything. My son asked me what an orgasm felt like, which I told him it felt like a really, really good, sneeze because <laughs> I thought he could relate to that um, and so they became more open I had a lot of literature in the house a lot of books that you know suddenly would disappear and I realized all the teenagers were taking it and thumbing it um, so so a, a very open household yeah. and yet yeah. still yeah. perhaps my son you know later when he was you know a little older didn't want to talk about it yeah and my daughter though still is really open Mm -hmm. with me which I love I felt privileged mm -hmm. but yeah. it's, it is a real need I mm. mean they don't all have the words for it mm. but definitely there is a need where they get to the age where they're hormonally motivated mm. and they have no idea what to do misinformation and they, yeah <laughs> and then they just ask each other and yeah. they get their information from like slightly older siblings mm. and you know it's sad that what we call se sex education is basically how not to get a disease. Mm. I mean, can you even What imagine? was your sex education? Well, I didn't have one because I went to school in Greece and oh, that was... There was uh, nothing. I was in an old girls' school with like yeah. religious <laughs> schooling. I'm going to jump in and just yeah. tell you a funny little story. Um, I found out about sex from Marsha Goodfellow in Shout a dark closet. <laughs> no, she's probably not around anymore. Oh. In a dark closet. <gasps> in a very kind of sneaky, secretive way. It was very odd. How old were you? Um, I don't wonder if I'd gotten my period yet. Maybe not. But my mother never told me anything about sex. Well, we went to school together, mm -hmm. my friend here, Star. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of our classmates, Ingrid Lamar, her father came. He was Dr. Lamar, came and gave us sex ed. Six weeks, one day a week. Mm -hmm. And as all I remember about it, because obviously it wasn't sinking in, is the last day. <laughs> oh, it just makes my skin crawl. The last day, I put up my sat, my little hand, plucked up the courage, and I said to Doc Lamar, Doctor Lamar, Doctor Lamar, I understand what the hole in the front is, and I understand what the hole in the back is, but what's that hole in the middle? Mm. I just did not get. That the vagina, I didn't get what it was. I just, at six weeks, and I still wasn't. I thought babies came out through your urethra. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, I me too. Oh, me too, for years. I said, okay. <laughs> yeah, me too. And then I went home Thank to you. my mother. You know, I had written a book about the vagina with the word vagina in every sentence. Huh. It got published in England by Virago. I went home to my mom, and she said, no, they're only. There are only two holes, honey. You're wrong. It's just the urethra and the butthole. That's what I thought. I couldn't figure out what that thing in I'm the like, middle Mom, was. No, no. <laughs> How did I get here? How did I get Isn't here, that Mom? Amazing. It's not the same passage. But was your mom awake when she had you? <laughs> no. 
Very Notably. Uh, mine wasn't yeah. either. She was knocked out. Yeah. Was she awake when you were conceived? Yeah. Not either. No. <laughs> well, you know, I think she was out of body, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, she's yeah. the daughter of a priest. Right. Her oh, father wow. chose her husband. She was a virgin. She was 18. You know, she wasn't even clear about what the penis was or what it looked yeah. like or what yeah. its job was. No one had told her anything. Yeah. And she was terrified. So I think she just kind of like said her prayers and went out of body yeah. and let things happen. And I was wow. conceived like within the first week. Um, I don't think she, wow. she knew anything. It's a little heartbreaking, huh? Yeah, it is. And she only n has known my dad her whole life. And that's it. How does she feel about, sorry, I really want to know about you now. How does she feel about your books? Writing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they're so good. That generation, and maybe we are too, I don't know, but that generation that's m more uh, controlled by religion mm. are very good at dissociating. So she's very, you know, she excels at it. Uh, you know, she, she's like, I'm so proud of you. I love your work. Um, you know, if she would come to like my art show openings and she would see like a big vagina stitched and she'd be like, that's my favorite piece. It reminds me of like a spider web. She did not have yeah. a concept at all that this was a, a pussy. It just didn't register. She, you know. Were they titles? So she's a perfect example okay. <laughs> of like the dichotomy. Yeah. yeah. No, they, she doesn't speak English. Uh, uh, uh. So it's, you know, she never had to read the books. Because um, I, okay, I must admit, I did not allow them to be translated in Greek. Right. Because so they've been translated in many other languages, but I was Why? just like no to the Greek Why? to spare my parents there you and go. the family. There you go. That's it. A little bit of shame. People find yeah. them, even them, and calling my mom and dad yeah. and saying, "Oh my God, I was writing porn." <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is this thing about the vagina? Yeah. You protected them. I think that's lovely. Yeah, I did protect them. Yeah. Do you protect? Yeah. yeah, or yourself. I mean, honestly, yeah, I think everything's no, about them. us. I didn't Maybe. really. Nah. Really? Yeah, because I don't live there. Yeah. So I, you know, I would have gone right. for a summer visit, and I really don't care what don't their care. friends. No. Well, I did protect them. Yeah, that's that's definitely oh, accurate. You're good. I used to and I did not try to um, proselytize them. You know, I don't believe in changing people. So that you that too. Don't believe in changing people. Mm -mm. Wow. Mm -mm. I, I do. Don't. I do. I think we become a greater example of what we are as we grow older. But I, I do. I do because I've seen transformation in myself. And oh, you, yeah. Me yeah. too. Me too. I believe in our own self-change. Oh. I just don't, you know, like to take it upon myself right. to change another. That's, yeah. I absolutely believe that. They'd have to yeah. be ready. They'd have yeah. to want you yeah, know, somebody exactly. wants to know, absolutely. It's yeah. not your job or yes. responsibility. Right. Yeah. yeah, I've lived with a, a lot of alcoholics. Uh, and I love myself an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> it's true. Ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's a great true. short story oh title. Oh, my God. Or maybe novel. <laughs> I think I might, too, yeah, actually. <laughs> they're fun until they're not fun. Um, yeah, exactly. But I don't feel responsible to change any of them. Exactly. It's not my story. Yeah. It's not my story, you mm -hmm. know. But it, obviously my story to find one. Mm -hmm. I grew up with one. So they say that if you're the child of some, an addict or an alcoholic, whatever the story is, that because you're being held by that person, that smell becomes mother's milk. Wow. And so you recognize it. You smell it in a mm -hmm. potential mate, and then that's mm -hmm. home. Yeah. For you. Oh, I hear that. You know. Yeah, it's very, it's clearly very edible. Yeah. You smell that kind of like yeah. manly sweat mixed with scotch yeah. or. It is a particular like, smell. Ooh, love. Oh my God. Yeah, that's home for me. So yeah, and but I don't feel responsible for it. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. And all. I also just, you know, resent the whole missionary approach. Uh, you know, again, that starts from Christianity. <laughs> yeah. So I want to make sure that I don't in any way practice that, you know, that I don't take it upon myself to say, okay, what uh, I think is right and you're wrong, so you have to change and, and you yeah. know, and, and practice what I think is best for you. I stay away from that well, judgment. Th certainly Star and I have talked about that, about it's never the message, it's the messenger, something, you know, so about how you get across a message you know what I'm referring to in general about about beliefs and um, and you embody yeah. it and that's, yeah, you embody and that's it. nice yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but not 
pushing your beliefs so hard that you can't hear anything else because that's yeah. a form of um, well, and it's, it's censorship. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And yeah. it's the judgment yeah. part that's so difficult. I personally struggle with this because I always feel like, well, I know the better way. Yeah. And I do it especially with men, and I find it to be really, really destructive. And the older I get, I really try and sit in the, your behavior is information for me, and then I get to choose how I go forth with this person, as opposed to don't behave this way, behave this way will be a better way to be. Mm. We all think we're right. Yeah, don't we? Yeah. Um, so, so, so I'm just going back to those courses. So, um, there is a couple that you might, I'm sure you know, out of California. There's Badanskys, but mm-hmm. uh, anyway, they've written lots of books. And they were represented on Sex and the City as the older couple. They go and have a class with the girls and orgasm. And there's the uh, books called Extended Massive Orgasms. So I had a lot of that around about these one-hour orgasms, and I watched them doing it. Talk okay, so that, describe it in detail, please. Oh, my tell, word. So tell everybody. <laughs> the, I've forgotten her first name, but Badansky. The, it's a couple, and she's quite a bit older than her husband. And so she was an older woman when I was watching her. She must have been in her 70s when I was observing her. And she lies on a table. Her husband sits next to her, and she's naked. And there's a video camera usually very close to her vagina, and all of us in the class standing around watching this thing as he rubs her. And he rubs her to orgasm. And then she orgasms through the, the, we were there, you know, at least an hour. So she orgasms through this while it's all explained and videotaped and the engorgement and the, and the orgasm and the peaks and troughs and such. So it's... Um, and then do you each turn, take turns to well, orgasm her? Uh, no, we didn't. Um, oh. They offered to do it to me, but my husband's only proviso was that nobody touches me that wasn't him mm. so well, I didn't do it but they certainly you know have offered many times it's called just called rubbing mm-hmm. and that's Mama Gina's big thing is mm-hmm. that people rub and there are classes I don't know about here but there are groups in London mm-hmm. that meet once a week and the women anonymously or you can bring a partner lie down and the man rubs her mm-hmm. for 15 minutes usually I think the sessions are and the and it's all about her pleasure. Mm-hmm. It, he doesn't come into it at all. Mm-hmm. It's only about the woman and sort of learning the vulva and learning the bits and pieces. And mm-hmm. I have a friend that does that every week. He's mm-hmm. a doctor, and uh, he's and he a goes, rubber. He's a rubber. He's mm-hmm. a doctor rubber. And uh, and 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 what does he get out of him? Her pleasure. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of like a little voyeuristic thing, maybe. I have. I, well, that's interesting because mm. that has a negative connotation in a way to me. Mm. No, I, I don't mean it. Okay, you don't. I, don't I mean know it you don't. Negatively. I just uh, mean since he doesn't get know. to like uh, jerk off at the same yeah. time, he must get some pleasure. He's not doing it I guess so. selflessly. You know, when my daughter was young, we used to talk about blowjobs a lot. I, mm-hmm. I got into a whole rant about it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have I have some unhappiness about teenager girls and blowjobs. Yeah, because it's all centered on the boy's pleasure. I agree, and it and it upsets me. Mm-hmm. These girls, oh, I'm, I'm a virgin, but so their pleasure never comes into it. So I started when my daughter was very young talking mm-hmm. about that. Unfortunately, I probably went too far, and maybe I put her off for a while. Um, I just he's always going to come. The mm-hmm. man's always going to have yeah. pleasure, and yeah. yet most of most women don't. Yeah, I always so. did the same thing too. I mean, she was like. Not even 12. And I was like, you know, if you hear about the blowjobs, just tell everybody you don't give it unless you get it. You give it after you get it. They eat you out, you eat them out. We're on the same page. So she's heard this like tens of thousands of times. It's like second nature. (laughs) I said it's all about your pleasure, honey. Don't worry about them. They're taken care of. They're done. You know, you just both, you, you know, you reciprocate. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, I was in the we, feminist stage. It's all about <laughs> her. But, you know, because I know they're yeah. always going to take care of themselves. But, you know, there is, in, I don't know what they have in England, but there is something in America. I actually did attend a, c- a couple of meetings. Um, um, there are two different groups, but basically one is the, oh, my God, yes. Um, and by now it's kind of like a Ponzi scheme, I, I mean, in my opinion, because they charge like $5,000, you know, $8,000 and you, you know, take these seminars and it's extremely clinical and extremely organized. 
um, they have these gorgeous girls, you know, in in outfits a little bit, you know, it's a, in my opinion, it's a little bit like you know, handmade handmaidens. Oh wow! <laughs> but they they don't think of it that way. But it feels like that, um, and they um, teach. They give specific instruction as to how to uh, stimulate the clitoris manually. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have they sell their own pillows. They sell their own boosters. They sell their own little um, you know. Blanky, so you have to follow the exact mm. protocol mm. in order to kind of separate it from, let's say, free sex. Mm. And the idea is that this way the woman is not getting ad- taken advantage of, or you know, you don't get like creeps in there or whatever because everybody has to pay. Um, but it, the way I experienced it, it's extremely clinical, and I don't see why it costs so much. Mm. Like, I feel like it should just be a free service. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's um, business. Yeah, Ma- Gina's the same way now. <coughs> and, and then they are supposed to have um, groups so that once you graduate, and I don't remember the exact stages, but it's like stage one, two, three, and then you're ready. And then um, in at least the main two centers, like New York, LA, um, they have places, safe places where a woman can go and the man uh, will men any man will go and meet her and stimulate her um i just find it too neat i i you know to me it takes again sex into a direction that's not uh, uh, that's too prescribed and mm. too controlled and too limited um because if the yeah if the woman wants to get eaten out she can't it's against the rules mm. if the guy wants to you know gets a hard on and wants to tell her do you want to do something for me like give me a hand job mm. it's against the rules mm. um and they call it meditation it's a it's um it's an org- orgasmic meditation I think this is the same group i'm referring right. to in london so yeah um how would you do it how would you in your ideal world have a, a school for sex or intimacy well, I would, in my ideal world, I would start very young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in my ideal world, I would put this in the curriculum from like kindergarten. Yeah. And, um, you know, right class, <laughs> Montessori, the whole thing. I would introduce it from the beginning when we learn the language skills and we learn the names of things. You know, when we learn what to do with our hands and motor skills, how to walk and how to put things in their boxes introduce sexuality too so we can free it from this like you know 2000 years mm. of of mm. shame mm. and and darkness mm. um i think that by the time we get to be our age it's just so much more work because you have to unlearn yeah to disassemble and untrain yeah, yeah. Mm. as opposed to assembling with care yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it would be so simple to mm. just, you know, allow children to touch each other mm. and, you know, without feeling that, oh, you know, the three-year-old boy is going to, uh, I don't know, objectify, mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. you know, assault the three-year-old girl, right? And, and explain to them what works, what doesn't work, what consent is, you know, why the girl gets to consent in exchange for the fact that she gets to get pregnant. Mm. Very simple, basic, you know, rules. Um, And again, in my ideal world, if we take this to its kind of like logical conclusion, um, the children are not going to be named by their father's names and we're not going to be named by our father's or husband's name. And the whole patriarchy system will crumble removing the patriarchy i think it's happening slowly now i mean my children who are 23 and 25 uh, my daughter especially is like i don't know if i ever need to get married Mm. and if she got married i don't think she'd ever take somebody else's name so i think things are changing now yeah i never took anybody's name i mean i don't even use my father's name because i feel about it the same way i would feel about the husband's name yeah so you use your mother's last name? I don't use it, uh, my last name. I mean, I. Uh, part of the beauty for me is that I have a Greek name, 
so it's very recognizable in Greece, but I spell it in an unfamiliar way here. No one else in my family spells it this way, and I only use it in like banking and whatever. I don't use it in my work. Um, I don't sign my books or my art or any of my work with it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And because, you know, growing up, my dad would always say, you represent me. Whatever Mm. you do, Mm. you know. Mm. speaks for me mm. <laughs> maybe that's why you came abroad <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so i left so you I could left create my entire continent when yeah. i was 15 mm-hmm. you want your own voice yeah i think going to england was very much that for me because my family was very well known <clears throat> in south florida and i love that i'm very proud of what i come from but i was an extension of them not exactly. me and england was a chance just to do my own thing without worrying about you know, creating a fuss, you know, about the family name and, and, and yeah, so I think very much people, kids that come away from their home have that opportunity to become more themselves. Um, but the sex thing on the interesting was under my maiden name. Uh, and my husband did, wasn't happy about it. He really wanted his name. That took me, <laughs> <laughs> took me a long time to, to, to bend to that, to, to, Music Interesting. Um, yeah. And then it meant more to him than it did to me in the end. So, you know, it's all about compromise um, in a marriage. Um, I had a very happy marriage, but these courses were a lot of, lot of it. I'm a widow now. Oh, and uh, it, 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 yeah. Um, it, it really sparked our lives. You know, it was an opportunity. And it wasn't him. I really take total responsibility for problems that we might have had uh, about communication because I wasn't taught the words and then I was said the words were shameful. Um, and I realized that men, I really believe, want to give pleasure. They really want us to be happy, I think, for the most part. We just have to express how that, you know, how to do that. Exactly, yeah. You know? Yeah, that's it, basically. They, you know, I tell feel them. that we have to tell yeah. them. And that's hard. First off, know what you want. Mm-hmm. And then be able to say those things out loud without shame and then accept them. Or not if they don't do them, accept that. You know, you've told them and they still don't do it. Um, yeah. But I, I found once I said w- what worked for me, oh, my God, it just opened up a whole new area. And wh- I've known my husband since I was 20. I met him when I was very young. And he was, in the, by this stage, I was in my late 30s, probably almost 40 by the time I did these these. Uh, classes and it would just as a whole new area of our lives we fell so much more in love and um oh, that's went, amazing yeah that is so well lovely. you knew him yeah he yeah. was super charming yeah he um was. he was a dude so it really did change your sex life completely changed things wow. i mean it was a 180 um because because of me mm-hmm. you know yeah. I mean, he was all he was always willing i was just you know I, well i learned and this is interesting again I've, i mean i looking back i learned how to say to describe sexual mm. things from all the you know subcultures the the tiny sexual subcultures that i wrote pieces on you know for spin magazine mm-hmm. so i would go to san francisco and hang out with like lesbian women who liked cutting that they would orgasm you know by cutting or um you know snm different types of like snm um and dungeon uh, sexual lives or you know cross dressers or whatever it was an endless <laughs> um, but but they had words for everything and we don't the heteronormative vast majority we don't have any words you yeah. know we we assume that the guy will come like fully knowledgeable and equipped because he's got the penis. Because he's got the penis, right, yeah. Right. And yeah. by, by yeah. virtue of this penis. And he's done it a few times, yeah. yeah right. Okay. And he knows how to please us, and we just have to lie there yeah. <laughs> yeah. and be willing. Um, so, but like even the gay culture, but especially these, you know, m- smaller uh, sexual subcultures, you know, the, the further you go from the dominant sexual heteronormative heteronormative culture the more words they have for everything Hmm. such a brilliant observation i absolutely never thought of it that way but i can see it a hundred percent a hundred percent exactly and they negotiate because again there's so few of them so it's not like you know they have to find someone 
And then they sit down and they negotiate. They say, you know, this is my hard limit. This is my soft limit. This is what I like more. You know, and they call it a scene. And they describe what they're going to do before they do it. Which oh, is such a turn on. Nothing like itself. it. I know, right? Yeah, that is. Turn uh, off, right? On. No, on. it's describing. I think it's on. Oh, no, it's a total turn on. The first time I, I it's kissed a, a woman in front of, I, I kissed, I, it was, she was an Israeli soldier, former Israeli soldier. Ooh. And uh, <laughs> just hot. I know. <laughs> and, I, you know, even though I'd gone to girls' schools, I'd never had a scene with a girl. And so for this course that Although I was we taking. we had classmates that did. Yeah, we had we yeah, certainly plenty. gay classmates that although they may not have been out at the time. Um, It was a men's corset. I was a courtesan, and there were 30 guys taking a day's course about how to pleasure women. And um, and I was a courtesan in this course. I walked around in my skimpy little balcon bra and a G-string and a long gown all day serving these guys. And uh, in the afternoon, I was asked to kiss this woman, to show men how to kiss just just the beginning of the kiss not the kiss itself just like how to how to if you put your hand down just like this instead of going like this you just just going up to it you know and uh i never kissed a woman anyway this woman before we had our kiss she said we're going to do this negotiation i guess and we're going to talk about it before i kiss you <gasps> that rocked my world you know i just i mean it was an incredible experience for just talking me through what was going to happen to me on this stage. And it was much more exciting than the actual kiss, the talking about it. Exactly. Um, yeah. And boy, you could have heard a pin drop when we did it. We were up on a little stage <laughs> in our underpants doing this thing, just trying to, and we actually never really had much of a kiss, but it was the whole pulling in, pulling out, eye contact, you know, like a negotiation, a dance. Mm-hmm. The mating dance. Don't you both find that a kiss is so absolutely, so personal? I mean, I find being kissed and being turned on by a kiss mm. so powerful, oh. even more than intercourse. You know? Agreed, yeah. It's just... Yeah. It's more intimate. <sighs> it's so much more intimate. Well, it's so interesting that prostitutes, you know, have sex without kissing. You know, that's, right. that's right. interesting. Um, yeah, and how you can be so turned off as well. Oh, so that's what this afternoon was about, was, yeah. you know, not what's right or wrong, but, but, you know, how to read it, your partner, you know, how to be slow and, you know, that. So, yeah. Um, and these guys were so grateful. So the, one of the things this woman talked about was having a, a course for teenagers, but it was a licensing issue for her. Um, she, we wanted to start classes sort of for 16 year olds so you know could start somewhere but she just and I would have done anything to get my son on that course yeah my, my boy you know because mm-hmm. why should they know we don't even know what we look like for the most part why would a boy know what's inside the package you know inside nobody it? knows nobody yeah. knows anything yeah. and now the boys are at even greater disadvantage than before because yeah. they still know nothing and they except porn. they can always be accused of rape and they're not sure how to tell when when is what and um, you yeah. know they 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 get they are all defensive yeah so i have a friend that's a producer um in la and she said the thing you do not want to be right now is a straight white man in los angeles mm-hmm. uh, they're terrified they're terrified of going out and i'm not saying it's anyone's fault but i think yeah the the we're all so unsure well you know they are all sexist pigs by definition (laughs) but no i mean they are but we have enabled that sister tell it right (laughs) yeah but we are enabling that and we are giving it permission Mm. so we can't go both ways Mm. that's just my feeling if you sleep with someone and it feels to you like date rape and you really don't want to do it but it's easier than like s- screaming and yelling and calling the cops and you just close your eyes and get through it and you hated it, you know. Or if you sleep with someone because you want a job and you really hated it, but you're like, whatever, I'll live through it. If you do that, you can't then five years or mm. 10 years or 15 years later mm. change your mind mm. and sue. What? You can speak up the truth, but you can't actually expect, you know, retribution because you already made the choice. Yeah. And the same thing with like the rest of the vast experience of monetizing sex. 
if you're gonna turn sex into provider sex, if you need to get wined and dined and someone pay for your movie before you sleep with them, right? Then of course you're turning them into a sexist pig. Like if you want somebody to buy you shoes and purses because you're, you know, giving them sex, then you're participating in this system. You know, like we can't get, we can't have both. Mm. Either we become equal sexual partners. And, you know, again, by example, we show men how we want respect and we respect them back. And this is just about the sexual pleasure and nothing else. Or, you know, we enable them to be, you know, sexist mm. in their treatment of us mm. and then, you know, keep quiet about it. Mm. Well, I don't know. I think, um, and I'm going to kind of fall back on um, my very strongly feminist daughter that Shannon knows well. I, I think there is a period of time before women understand um, really what they can and cannot do. They may be young and not have the experience or the words or the personal strength to stand yeah. up. So I don't think it's always so black and white. I think in some cases women do feel completely intimidated and they're just not strong enough. I, I, I can't in that instance kind of blame the woman. I mean, I think for any of us, I think we're all pretty well educated on this subject. And yeah, I mean, if I did, then I'm I would not sure all what you're. What's what are we, like, Give me an example of what you're saying. Blaming. Well, um, okay. So there's this young woman I know who, in high school, felt pressured to have uh, sex and not intercourse, but kind of earlyish sex with a boy, and he pressured her. And she felt really bad and icky about it, but she didn't have the way to stop it just because of her own insecurity. And just recently, this boy approached her, young man, and said, I hear you've been saying some things about me. And she had discussed this with other friends of hers who knew this young man. And she was really afraid to have kind of the confrontive conversation because at the time she really did feel like she didn't have a choice. They ended up having a beautiful conversation about it. And he said, you were right. I did pressure you. And I knew it was wrong at the time. So, you know, I think that's maybe one example. Of course, she was young. So it's, you know, but I, th I can see it happening with um, women not so strong, not so educated. You know, we, we live in a no, culture I think where it happens there's so to, many different To all kinds. of us. All yeah. of us. And, um, and I believe that it's good to talk about it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Even 5, yeah. 10, 20, 30 years later. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that um, the Renew issue with Hollywood yeah. is... Um, Suing and money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where, and which again, if, if it's within the stretch of the legal limits, it's great because right. the more publicity, the more you know, we talk about it, the more all of us right. mm. are informed mm. about what is okay and what's not okay. And we kind of respect our bodies more. Mm. And we, I think, like, unite with our bodies more. Were you not very careful with your daughter when she was growing up about situations you put her into? I know I was not wanting to. So my son had... Uh, in Patigo. and I was in America and I took him to a pediatrician and the moment I walked into that pediatrician's office it's like I'd hit a brick wall all this I'd had an, a bad experience when I was 13 in that pediatrician's office and I totally blocked it and it came and I blocked it not only for myself but I certainly hadn't told my parents that this guy had molested me that this pediatrician <laughs> molested wow. me the very same yeah wow so uh, it was just uh, so you know I, I then you know as a result I, I I was very aware of my daughter being in positions or certainly talking to her a lot about speaking up or you know telling me anything whenever she was uncomfortable. So it is important for us to. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah I never left her alone with no. the pediatrician. No, well, my our parents. You know, I was getting my ears pierced. You know, my parents didn't think anything, and my mom. When she was, just before she passed away, I talked to her about a lot of things to do with um, religious, some religious people and things that she came out with of her own experience that none of us had ever talked about, very similar experiences with the religious. And it's such a shame, you know, things we should have told our mothers or our mothers should have told us. And now hopefully we do, you know.
ex- yeah. yeah yeah talk about that and not make it so shameful not right. our fault or you know because most of these people are intimidating us aren't they because they're in power right. powerful it's position. a power position yeah well i wish i'd done a better job oh my daughter oh. i do oh <laughs> she's <laughs> the truth an incredible girl yeah. and we draw a line under that because yeah. i mean she's an amazing woman yeah. I think all of us, you know, have been raised incredible, incredible, because they're on our shoulders, our children. They're definitely standing on our shoulders, and we on our mothers. Um, oh, that's so lovely. Yeah, really? it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Well, hopefully, if we make it more conscious, you know, I think that's the ultimate mm. goal, to make sex more conscious mm. and less... Um, you know, like unaware, much more aware and conscious. And then we can change, you know, we can change everything. That's your message. I can really hear that. Yeah. About yeah, I love that. consciousness, education. Um, it's so interesting. Just part of the conversation. You know, not yeah. nudge, nudge, giggle, giggle. Right, um, yeah. Mm. And also kind of, you know, unite with ourselves because I... I think that even for me, there was a moment when I realized, yes, I was a feminist and I was I identified as a post feminist, Mm. you know, whatever. I mean, I had these ideas about, you know, my my own agency and freedom and power over men. And I was always a top. Um, But um, what do you mean by that? I mean, I was the I I like I I like to be the the, the one in charge. Right. In sex. Right. Um, dominant so yes I was always the dominant one um, and was willing to do anything so long as it was dominating (laughs) so I you know so I thought oh I'm like a liberated woman and it took me so many years until recently to realize that in a way I continued this dichotomy because I was not connected with my body it's it's almost like I was pimping my own body for Mm -hmm. my own pleasure Right. So like I would have sex and then like look in the mirror at my body mm. and that would turn me on mm. or um, so I wasn't me <laughs> like I wasn't me. Yeah. You were yeah character? I wasn't integrated. Right. Yeah. I was still a character. Yeah. yeah. Character in your own. It's not interesting as if I'm honest. I, lo- I I'm the reverse. I, I, and maybe that's in life, too. I love being led. I mean, I want to say, but I love being <laughs> taken care of. Star Wolf tell you that I love being taken care of. Um yeah, I love I love the dominant. I like, but yeah. it's disassociative again. Back to the word you use to describe your right. mother. Yeah, it's this yeah. Detachment. In fact, I find the best sex is when I'm able to integrate myself. And most right. of the time, I see myself having sex. I watch myself having mm. sex. I feel myself having sex, but I'm not always like immersed. And the times that I am. It's unbelievable, mm. but it's not often mm. that you're out of not your head. Not often enough that I'm out of my yeah. head. It's out of your head. Yeah, that's being out, out of, your, of head, your head, not being an observer. Right. Exactly. Even yeah. though you're participating, it's more like right. An, you know what I mean. Well, it's what you said. Yeah, exactly. being there with your full essence, but not from outside looking in. Mm. Right. Yeah, like it's all a film. Yeah. How do we do that? Yeah. How to work well, on that? That's right? what we're. Yeah. That's what we want to do. Well, and I think it's what this conversation's about. Yeah. It's the consciousness that you just talked about. Yeah. It's getting Love together that. as women. We were talking about this the other day, forming the vagina club, the pussy posse, <laughs> the, the clitorati. The, yeah. you know. <laughs> the that's clitorati. What, that's what we are. <laughs> that's the word. The clitorati. The clitorati society. Yeah. The t-shirts, the ladies. Lucky sperm club. <laughs> we're all part of that. That's what we really want. More joy. I'm all about having fun right now, ladies. I am yeah. so oh, into. Yeah, me too, yeah. We yeah. talked about that earlier before I, you all got here. I just, you know. Just I'm let's have fun. Kind of sake. out there with that. And and uh, I know I'm drawing that because you draw, you know, whatever you, you're putting out and uh, drawing that. Uh, become friends with many stars, friends now that are great fun. I just want to drop the old. Anyway, 
you know. Right. We are. We are uh, the pussy posse. And I had <laughs> a little pussy posse in London. So I went through this progression. I had a meditation group and we met for a few years and that was great. And then doing all this, I formed a pussy posse and we'd meet every week and just talk about our pussies. And then now I've got something called the Spooners. And it's my mom started it. It's the Long Handled Spoon Society. You get to the bottom of the stew where all the good stuff is and you stir it up. So the spooners meet regularly and we travel together. We talk. We don't do anything of, you know, charity or merit. We just, you know, about being you a loving supporter. Yeah, we feed ourselves the good, That's juicy it. stuff. And our daughter's the teaspoons. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're the big mama spoons and they're the teaspoons. And, and they've, you know, so that's, you know, I'm all about forming a group of supportive, loving, open, honest women. Um, I'd love to include men, but that's, you know, not where I am right now for so much. If they want to listen, great. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Fab. yeah. I don't, I'm not ashamed. Yeah. Well, that's what this hour is about. Are you listening, men? Hello, men. <laughs> I'm talking to you. Hello, Shannon. <laughs> Well, and the main thing that I want to tell everyone is that it gets better. Mm. It gets better the more you talk about it, the it more does. you do it, the more you free yourself. Yeah. And, you know, make allow yourself to say yes, it gets better. <gasps> I just said that. My mother used to say to me, don't say no. You form a lot of wrinkles in your face. Say yes. Yes. And so I say try. Yes. Yes. Mm, yes. So I've had that conversation with a few people recently. Just say yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to uh, come to a conclusion. Thank so, you. <laughs> the God, say yes fun. episode. <laughs> the say yes of the Clitorati Club. <laughs> Form your own, ladies. <laughs> Get in line. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. This was another episode of Speak Sex. I'm Evie Ridisi. We'll see you next Friday. That was fun. <laughs>